Newsweek's David Anson praised it as a pretty damn good summer movie. There, I've said it. It's a breezy, clever entertainment with stirring effects. USA Today's Mike Clark called it a two-hour aquatic pursuit pick with bruising stunts, fun-to-watch performances, a dozen good chortles, and imposing Panavision renderings of post-apocalyptic crud. And San Francisco Examiner critic Mick LaSalle described this movie as a genuine vaulted greatness that misses the mark, but survives. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Waterworld. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. That's very Deacon-y. You sound kind of <laughs> like, uh, you know, Dennis Hopper as Deacon. Greetings, Starfighter. I don't know. He, he kind of has, yeah. <laughs> Greetings, Starfighter. Yeah, I don't know. That was not the intention, but. Oh, well, I mean, I think that any way you would have said it could have potentially led me to respond in the same way. Anyway, everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of Ruined Childhoods. I think that's only because I put my name in there as Dennis Hopper. So, right. And the, bald, so, the baldness and for for everybody <laughs> um, listening, uh, my name is John. That's Dan over there. And we are recording this episode as we do all of our episodes using an online platform uh, that is uh, social distancing friendly so that uh, he and I can record in both Portland and Seattle with no lag. And we get to choose what our names are on the uh the platform and we typically do a play on a character name or an actor who's in the movie that we're talking about and for this episode dan came on as danis hopper and i am john triplehorn so Which i feel is, like we totally nailed it on this one we did and i'm so glad because i almost went with gene triple dan and see i um, was i thought that you might go with some sort of like gene triplehorn thing her name is just so good and I have to shout out the movie Date Night, which I now think of every time I hear the name Jean Triplehorn, because her they use her name as like the when they're um they claim the table that's not theirs and oh, it's the Triplehorn. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Triplehorn. Yeah. Well, that was just a big fat. Waste of time. Uh, Thank you for all of your help, and I am being sarcastic. Ah! Ah! Mother! <laughs> I think I only saw the one once, and I was, like, not into it. So I don't remember oh, no. it all that well. I, I, I will just briefly, I'm not going to go on a whole date night tangent, but I have to say that what I really enjoyed about it when, when we saw it back in the day was it really reminded me of kind of an early to mid-90s romantic caper yeah. comedy well that's because isn't it just it's like the out-of-towners you know similar yeah, yeah similar steve it's martin goldie hawn well and then prior to that jack lemon and well uh, right but i'm thinking more specifically of like the 90s yes you, know, you mentioned that very specifically so oh yeah but i mean not only like that like there were other right. things anyway i i enjoyed uh 
date night, but yeah, they use, they reference Gene Triplehorn. Yeah. So Dan, uh, before we really launch into Waterworld, and boy oh boy, will we? Uh, is there anything that you wanted to bring up news wise, or anything that we didn't talk about for the paper? Which still can't stop thinking about that movie. So good. No. No, and you know there there were there were some things that I want to say that just like came up randomly uh, throughout the week as I was reflecting back upon the paper, but I don't really have anything uh, anything to add. It was really just you know thinking about the movie and how um, like relevant it is and um, just the the night like the touches the one thing that i want to just mention again about the paper is how nice how nicely done those just the little touches the, the it's a very robust and, world yeah 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 so appreciate that when we talk about these movies or we know what we're going to be doing on the next episode what i like to do if i have the opportunities is i will watch other things that like uh, like for the paper, I watched broadcast news. Um, there was something else. Oh, I watched Spotlight because, as I said in the last episode, they're kind of like spiritual cousin movies, you know, in a, in a weird way. And um, I, over the past week, have also been watching a few more Ron Howard movies just because it was like, you know, right after that, he did Apollo 13 and... Uh, I was like, you know, I hadn't seen it in a few years and I saw that it was on, I think, Showtime or something. So I checked it out and uh, it's it's just so good and it great holds up perfectly. It, it's great. And um, I also watched Hillbilly Elegy, which had just come out recently. And I figured it'd be a good opportunity to just see like the most recent thing that Ron Howard has put out. And Hillbilly Elegy... I don't know, Dan, if you've seen it, and I'm not going to give anything away. It's one of those movies where it's like, the performances are great, the directing is great. I don't think it's as particularly... It's a strong enough story to warrant everything that it's given. And and I don't know if it's particularly well-written, but like, hair and makeup, and, you know, that is where this movie really shines. Like, they show like home videos and photos and stuff of like the actual family. And it's like Glenn close. They got her looking exactly like that woman that she portrays. And Amy Adams also. Is this, I think this is the first time Glenn close and Ron Howard are reuniting since the paper. Uh, That makes sense. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, And they clearly work great together. So maybe we'll see some more. Yeah. Ron Howard has just been uh, incredibly prolific and it's why there are a lot of movies that you really remember that he directed and you associate him with, like the, uh, the paper, Parenthood, Splash, yeah. other things. But then there are, uh, you know, A Beautiful Mind, uh, which sure. kind of mm-hmm. falls in the Apollo 13. One thing I've always appreciated about Ron Howard is that I feel like he's he's often trying to do something a little different than what he's done. Yeah. Before he did right. look, I mean, Ed TV and the famous, you know, 1998 battle of the person uh, being surveilled by reality television. Yeah, and sorry, Ed TV, you weren't oh, the I, better one. Ed TV is uh, Ed TV, from what I remember, was cute. 
Sure. And I remember like Woody Harrelson being really fun in it, right. as he often is. And but the yeah, first you know, wave of uh, you know McConaughey, McConaughey Harrelson. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that I, I really do appreciate the way that Ron Howard is always trying to do something a little different. I mean, aside from like you know the uh, Angels and Demons, Inferno, like all of those Dan Brown things. You know, it's like may as well just complete the series but um you know yeah he he does but he goes from like doing the paper which is a very specific kind of movie to something like apollo 13 which is extremely different and well you know consider consider um his jump from willow to parenthood yeah yeah (laughs) so i i do appreciate that about him he's not just doing movies that are going to be sure successes or like a tried method that he's done a hundred times before, you know, he does. Yeah, and it's like, yes, he's like, he is, he is a Hollywood filmmaker. He makes movies, you know, for the mainstream audience and he's, he's great at it. Yeah. And he, yeah, they're not all great, but yeah, go yeah. Ron Howard. And he so, also just seems like a nice guy. Like, I don't know. Him, absolutely. Right? You never hear any bad stories about Ron Howard. No, I mean, he's like, I, I think he's he's been, I mean, not that this means you're a good person or a bad person, but I think he's been in the same marriage for like since sure. the 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, I like lives in Connecticut and he just seems like a really like someone who loves making movies, loves yeah. making movies with Tom Hanks. And he's been doing it since he was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I watched a few, you know, Ron Howard movies and I did the same for not Kevin Reynolds movies, but I watched a few other Kevin Costner movies uh, after watching Waterworld. And I am going to just say this before we move on with Waterworld. Yes, we know it is established that this is an atrocious movie we are going to speak about it in the most respectful ways we know how and uh, our opinions are only our own well it's a complicated one look it's Waterworld falls under that category of movies that had a lot of bad press we talked about this a lot with ishtar so mm, if you want to hear yeah. like if you really want to hear this conversation go into the archives listen to our ishtar episode sure and this and this movie was referred to often as fishtar fishtar right because Kevin's it went gay. famously famously over budget and uh, you know the critics view of it early on you know dictated how the movie performed yeah. And it ended up making its money in home video sales. And that's what this is what most people focus on is the now, pitfalls of this movie. No, that's it. I mean, I, I will. We also acknowledge with Ishtar that there were that there was quite a bit of gender politics Absolutely. going on, which is certainly not the case here with no. two white men uh, <laughs> being yes. uh, ta- tasking themselves with bringing Waterworld to the screen. Right. And um, I, I'm going to do the synopsis. It's not as long as the uh, There's the not last six episodes. of them? There's not six of them. I didn't do one for every character. John did like time. six synopses for the paper if you didn't listen to that one. And so it's quite impressive. It's worth checking out. <laughs> so uh, I'll just do this one really quick. And um, I'm sure there are going to be plenty of things I'm going to miss. But I mean, it's not a complicated 
story here. It's the year 2500, and the polar ice caps have all melted centuries earlier. All that is left is a vast sea, and the surface is inhabited by a few different types of surviving humans. Some live on atolls, which are floating mini-cities filled with inbred traders. Some are in a vicious group of misfits called the Smokers, who live on board an old oil barge. They are led by Deacon, and they travel in search of wanderers they can pillage. And those wanderers? Some of them are just as cruel and lonely as the Smokers, but they've been driven to madness by their solitude and vitamin D over-efficiency. And then there's our hero, only referred to as the Mariner, who travels on board an intricately rigged trimaran. What makes the Mariner different is that he is evolved and was born with webbed toes and gills, making it possible for him to breathe underwater, giving him the ability to collect treasures from deep below the surface of the ocean. One item that he is able to collect and trade for high-value items like water and fruit-bearing plants is dirt from the Earth's surface. This only fuels the rumor that there exists a place on the planet with actual dry land. When the Mariner attempts to trade his dirt on an atoll, a group of smokers tears the place apart in search of a little girl who lives there who has a tattoo on her back that many believe is a map to the dry land. The Mariner, who has been imprisoned for refusing to mate with some of their kind, is offered freedom as long as he can help one woman, Helen, and the little girl, Enola, escape. He succeeds and manages to destroy many of the smokers' jet skis in the process. Though the Mariner wants Helen and Enola off his boat ASAP, He's that much of a loner. He grows to actually like them as they travel the seas, dodging the smokers. But when Enola is kidnapped by Deacon, the Mariner insists on rescuing her from the giant oil rig. After they escape, they are found by Old Gregor, a resident of the atoll who operates a flying balloon. They unlock the mystery of the tattoo and find dry land, the peak of Mount Everest. The Mariner decides that this is not the life for him. He is a man of the sea, and he leaves Helen, Enola, and old Gregor to continue his life of solitude. So, The Mariner is played by Kevin Costner. Uh, Dennis Hopper plays the Deacon. Gene Triplehorn plays Helen. Uh, Tina Majorino plays Enola. People would remember her from Napoleon Dynamite or Veronica Mars. And uh, I think she's pretty great in this. And Michael Jeter is old Gregor. And uh, I don't know if there's anyone else really notable to mention, aside from one of the smokers... One of the pilots played by Jack Black. That's right. The Jack Black. Also, yeah. some uh, you might also recognize, especially uh, fans of uh, Sons of Anarchy, would recognize Kim Coates, a uh, character actor who's been he's been around so for such a long time that when you see him uh, pop up now, you start to. Oh, oh I think I know. That. Yeah, he's yeah, the drifter. Yeah. He's that he's right. that drifter. Yeah. That that gets on the wrong side of the Mariner. Right. So, so he is the one, and correct me if I'm wrong, the one that comes on board and essentially is like he trades for the ability to uh, have relations with the ladies. Is that correct? Bolt, he, want, he, wants, what, he wants to with the kid. Right. Who is? But seven? Co- eight? Somewhere around there, but yeah, no, Costner's like, no, you take triple horn, and then uh, that's and then that's triple horn. Although, what I'm thinking is, I'm like, this guy's been adrift at sea for such a long time. If he sees Gene Triple Horn in any state of undress and there's a breeze, he's gonna like it's done. (laughs) If he sees a starfish, he's gonna go nuts. Ooh, just saying. (laughs) 
Anyway, uh, <laughs> another another person worth mentioning, and this goes back to the last episode. I had mentioned that I had a couple of weirdo connections to this movie, and this is one of them. One of the the guys who controls the gate at the at the eight is it atoll or atoll 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 yeah uh, who controls the gate at the at the atoll uh, is played by a guy named Tracy Anderson who has only really been in this and like maybe a couple other tiny nothing roles and he was my college professor for an acting for camera class that I took. And uh, his like claim to fame was that he was in Waterworld. So that's how you know you've like got the right guy for the job. And um, he uh, he really liked me. He was a very nice guy. I remember him showing us that like Michael Caine like acting video from like the 70s. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. I don't blink. This is how I show that I'm strong. So I don't <laughs> blink. You look at my uh, eyes. I'm not blinking. I stare down the shark. <laughs> like I, I like how bad I Michael men, I like how I mentioned the Michael uh, Michael Caine acting video, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, oh, it is. I mean, I remember. Famous. I remember. Yeah, watching that. We're going to talk for a little while about film acting, of which I've done a little bit. And the first thing that will happen to the audience is, of course, for the rest of the day, they will be completely ignored because you don't exist. My fellow actors and I can regard you as the crew, right? By the way, the only the only thing I can say in the Michael Caine accent is Michael Caine. Michael. That's it. Michael Caine. Every movie I do now is with Christopher Nolan. Yeah, actually, you know what? If anyone wants to hear great Michael Caine impersonations, watch any of the the trip movies the trip with movies. Steve. I mean, definitely in the first uh, one uh, where they're doing like dueling Michael Caines. Well, broadsheet journalists have described my impressions as stunningly accurate. Well, they're wrong. I've not heard your Michael Caine, but I assume it would be something along the lines of, my name's Michael Caine. That is where you are so wrong. And you can look at my live video for proof because that's the very thing I don't do. I say that he used to talk like that. Do you, Michael Caine? Okay. I say, Michael Caine used to talk like this in the 1960s, right? But that has changed. And I say that over the years, Michael's voice has come down several octaves. Let me finish. And all of the cigars and the brandy don't let me finish can now be heard. I've not fucking finished in the back of the voice and the voice okay. now. Will, I've still not finished the voice. Because you're panicking. I've, yeah, no, because you look stop. like you're about to bloody talk. Let me finish. Right, so, Michael Caine's voice now in the Batman movies and in Harry Brown. I can't go fast because Michael Caine talks very, very slowly. Right, this is how Michael Caine speaks. Michael Caine speaks to his nose like that. He gets very, very specific. It's very like that. When he gets loudly, it gets very loud indeed. It gets very specific. It's not quite nasal enough the way you're doing it, all right? You're not doing it the way he speaks. You're not doing it with the kind of... And you don't do the broken voice when he gets very emotional. When he gets very emotional indeed. She was only 16 years old. She was only 16... You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. That's Michael Caine. They're great movies. Yeah. Outstanding. Yeah. Little buddy travel movies. Yeah. So Waterworld and of course, this is a very 
apt movie, a very appropriate movie to talk about now just because of climate change. I, you know, it, I don't know if it ever actually establishes what, like the cause of the ice caps melting. I can't remember if that was mentioned in like the beginning narration, which by the way, I, when the universal logo came up, I saw it and I was instantly just like, wait a second the water level is going to rise, isn't it? And then yes. they go into yes. the earth and the polar ice caps melt and all the water level rises. And it was just like, I remember that about this. I remember that. And then the very next thing that you see, which is Kevin Costner drinking his own filtered piss. Like those are, yes. that's like the iconic, most memorable thing from this movie, I think for a lot of people. Well, yeah, a lot of people took the piss out of Kevin Costner for this Ooh. movie. Uh yeah. Uh, so I mean, yeah, that, Water that World. Is, that is one hell of a way to start a movie. It is. There are so many. There are a lot of images that are so impactful and memorable. And yes, now, but you have to remember, like climate change w- was still happening. It wasn't as big of a thing. But I mean, I'm sure if you asked scientists climatologists who have been studying since the 90s they would know right. oh yeah no this has been well like, this what i new. remember about that time and granted i was still pretty young at that time but like i do remember that's when there was a lot of talk about like the ozone layer and like cfcs mm-hmm. from aerosol cans and stuff like that and like, styrofoam packaging and that's yeah that's like what the big talk was around this time that was my first um, uh, foray into activism. Was it really? Yeah, I was very passionate for a while. I even did a uh, uh, for WWOR nine Channel nine out of Secaucus in New Jersey. Did a a little like PSA on the Steam Pipe Alley set. Do so, you really? That's right. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I would try to save the ozone layer. To help it, I would boycott aerosol cans and styrofoam. When products like these are burned, they give off chemicals that damage the ozone layer. If it was completely destroyed, we would have to live underground. I wouldn't like that because there would be no sunshine, trees, or open meadows. Yeah. And it was a because like you had to write, it was this thing in school and people, and I had learned about the ozone, like that the ozone layer was being depleted. And basically that like, if we had no ozone layer, the sun would just fry us all. Right. And so I was like, I, I remember I went on a crusade at the, like at school that the cafeteria should stop using styrofoam trays. Wow. Which yeah, first of I'm, all, I'm, let's everyone know how old you are. <laughs> but also, yes. but also, uh, for anybody who's familiar with uh, Degrassi, the Next Generation, you're you're a total Emma. Just saying, Emma. Really? Have... Uh, oh boy. So uh, th- that no, joke no, but... just also gave away your age. Oh, you know, <laughs> enough. So... I don't care. i th- look. I got. I got more than five hours of sleep last night for the first time hey. in a while. So, nice. yeah, firing on all cylinders. You can't stop me. Oh, great. Uh, yeah. So also this movie essentially ends not like ends ends, but one of the last things that you see, well, the last thing you see of really the smokers is the oil rig sinking and it is revealed that it is an Exxon Valdez oil rig which is the, like the exxon a, valdez the exxon valdez yeah right but it's not like a big shock because 
I, I well, don't they know. kind of reveal it. If you know, and this is where, like, watching this movie now, if you don't ha- have that knowledge and understanding. So, actually, that, so that, by the way, is what suggests to me that indeed it was pollution and environmental damage right. that, that led to this because we're referencing the, the bad guys are tooling around and they worship Captain Joseph Hazelwood, the, uh, the drunk uh, pilot yeah. of of the Valdez and or captain I'm I'm I apologize Cap, but Cap. actually I don't I don't apologize dude spilled a bunch of oil in the water so yeah, screw him that dude sucks. uh but yeah I mean but that's another thing that's like making Dennis Hopper even more of a villain in this <laughs> is that he's like worshiping the like you know almighty joe St. Joe we're close after centuries of shame Right. It's Morton Joe. It's Morton Joe. Well, yeah, there's so and this movie was, you know, kind of came about because the studios wanted to have a new Mad Max. And I mean, honestly, not a bad idea to do it this way. Uh, It was originally proposed to Roger Corman. And oh. Roger Corman was like, this is going to cost five million dollars. We can't do this. Yeah. If only. Um, Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's. Really fascinating. I think that it's this movie, and we'll get to those a little bit later, but it's like the potential that this movie could have had to be something like truly great. You know, the all the pieces are there. All the well, all the pieces are there. I I really have to say Costner. I mean, Costner's not the only problem with the movie, but both in terms of what happened behind the scenes right. and in the editing room, but also on screen, Costner is he, he. So, first of all, he's throughout about the first hour of this movie, just thoroughly unlikable. And yes, you know, he's going like he'll come around and we're going to root for him, but you're not rooting for him. You're not rooting for him the way that you did in Robin Hood because he's not this inherently good person. But yeah. also, this is and this is another Kevin Costner thing that I don't know if, if this was his thing or what. But this is, I think, about Waterworld and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, where he is just so outshined by not just the character of the villain, but the actor playing the villain. Oh, yeah. I mean, Alan Rickman, forget it. Alan Rickman in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is brilliant. I'm going to cut your heart out with a spoon. Why a spoon, cousin? Why not an axe? Because it's dull, you twit. It'll hurt more. After I had watched Waterworld, kind of gearing up to talk about it, I watched, I, I watched Tin Cup. And I watched oh. and I watched Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and I couldn't get more than twenty minutes into Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I, he's, Ke- he's Kevin terrible. Costner makes it really unwatchable. And the thing is, like, I remember really liking it. Morgan Freeman is great in it. Alan Rickman is great in it. Uh, I remember Christian Slater being great in it, but I didn't even get to that part in, <laughs> in my rewatch of it recently. But ugh. and um, yeah, it's it, Costner. It's Costner. And like even watching Tin Cup, it's like, you know, Don Johnson is the is so good as the kind of bad guy. And then you have Rene Russo, who's the like love interest in Cheech Marine is the, you know, the kind of the buddy. And then there's Kevin Costner. And it's just like, ah, I just don't like this guy. 
There, at no He's point so... do I like this guy. No, at no point do I feel like Rene Russo should end up with this guy. No. 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 And, She's yeah, Rene no, Russo. No. She's amazing. Yeah. No. She stands stand on her own just fine. Absolutely. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I actually started to think about like the Kevin Costner movies that I do like, and I'm right. like, how did well, Kevin Costner not screw these up for me? Yeah, so JFK, I think he's great in JFK. No question. He is. It's been he forever is. since I've seen Dances with Wolves, and I have been unable to, it's not on anything streaming that I have, so I can't weigh in on that. Field of Dreams, I haven't seen in a long time, so I really can't weigh in on that. But I remember him being pretty good in that. He's fine because, you know, his character in that movie is a farmer in Iowa. Right. He does not have to be. He's perfect. He is great as a as just a farmer from Iowa who is hearing voices. And that's <laughs> yeah. great because Kevin Costner is he's bland. He's very bland. I think that's what J what JFK does really well. He's is just, that he's supposed to be kind of just like a I don't know. He's not supposed well, no, to be an exciting guy. Well, in JFK though, he is he's like he's intense and he's passionate. He's also got this team. I don't mean like I, I meant more in like oh. the action-y sense. You know, it's not intended oh. for him. You know, it's he's a he he's a passionate guy about this thing that he's focusing focusing on and um i think he plays that really well uh another one that i wanted to watch but uh, i couldn't track down was swing vote only just because oh, yeah. uh, being in the election times that we're that we're in right now i think it's just a fun one to circle back around to i saw that that was another one like he was fine in it because he was just like playing average this joe farmer yeah regular guy yeah yeah, it's these it's these Kevin Costner hero movies, and this one is I'd have to say that, I mean I haven't seen The Postman, right? Which was like his next movie, maybe? Yeah, that was ninety seven. Yeah, Tom Petty's in that. I never saw it, but I right. just remember. Yeah. I, was, I whenever haven't I seen think it about it, I was like, I oh, that, Tom though. Petty's in that. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of want to see another post apocalyptic <laughs> uh, loner movie. Relevant like to today because one. it's about it's the importance of the, uh, the post you know, postal service. So, yeah. so, you know, yeah. And I OK, go, going back to Waterworld, the things that I think are its strengths, it's a very exciting movie. The action in it is a lot of fun. The like swinging around on the trimaran and doing all the rigging and stuff. It's like that's exciting. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, well edited. I, it's well edited. Very well edited. I th- the the effects are effective and uh I don't know, it just there's a lot about it that's a lot of fun, but I feel like yeah, the costnery aspect of it really brings it down and I just know that like it should be taken seriously, but it's kind of taken taking itself too seriously in the wrong ways. I kind of feel Well, it's just he's and I know like you you when you read about it Kevin Costner was going through a really messy divorce at the time. And that's kind of the excuse number one for his performance, which I mean, like all sympathies for that, but that doesn't 
explain away, you know, like when you're the headliner of a movie and you look like you're just like rolling your eyes through every scene. I was thinking about it. And by the way, it's funny. You were describing when you were talking about how he collects all of his uh, his tchotchkes from the yeah, deep. Tchotchkes. I, I, I just started thinking of the Little Mermaid and him yeah. like swimming around, swimming around and picking. Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Right. Yeah. No. And it's. I think that that stuff is it makes a lot of sense. It's fascinating. What's up? Oh, and the scene when he for, when he shows her when he takes Gene Triplehorn yeah. down Into to the, the city. De- and and yeah. there's there's some logic holes here. Like he's got these National Geographics that have were like underwater for centuries that are in really good, like better conditions than the National Geographics in our parents' basement. In our at parents' home. basement that had like water like damage a from a flood. <laughs> Like a flood. These have been like, uh, like um, literally underwater fathoms, fathoms deep under yeah. the sea. But the scene when, when he's swimming down and he's going to the depths of the ocean and then you just see the tops of skyscrapers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was such a, a haunting. It's very vision. haunting. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. I thought really, that, that part was really, really fascinating. Effective. Yeah. Like I said. Very effective moments in this oh, movie, but you know who would have yeah. been so much better than Kevin? Co- I mean, other than like pretty much everyone, um, Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze would have been great. Like if I could go back and change something about the making of this film at the time, I would put Patrick Swayze in as the Mariner. He's got much more of that. Like I feel like his his movement, like his body, yeah. his movement. He's got that dancer movement where I would right. believe much more that he has somehow evolved or mutated into mm-hmm. like a like he's like one eighth fish, right? And the rest, man. Yeah, Patrick and also Swayze. he has. Five million times charisma than uh, Kevin Costner. Oh, a- yeah. absolutely. But Kevin Costner is just like, am I supposed to believe that he's doing all of these things? Am I supposed to believe that he's so like, and I know I'm not supposed to believe, you know, any of this really because it's it's a movie. But right. within that universe, I should believe it. And what I felt like I saw was Kevin Costner doing some like reluctant cosplay while everybody yeah. else was trying to to make like the biggest movie of the summer. Yeah, and okay, Dennis Hopper is really going all in on this one and I think that he embraces the over the topness that this character needs to be and he does a great job at it. You know, this is Dennis Hopper in the era of like, you know, awesome villains like speed well, it's, it's yeah. one year after speed it's one year after speed and then the you know super mario brothers you know his role so it's kind of just like this era <laughs> of just like where he's just such a great bad guy and uh and also it's like he's funny this movie's funny like the moment when like you know he has just lost his eye and everyone is trying to tell him how good he looks with this like new false eye and like some guy comes in he's like looks like crap He's like, I know. Oh, yeah. it. it's, it's the kid. It's the teenager. Yeah. Well, looks good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. I like it better than you realize. Much better. What do you say, Toby? The truth. Looks like shit. That's why I love children. No guile. Yeah. He's like, he's like, kids don't give a shit. They'll tell you the truth. Yeah. It's uh, so funny. And Gene Triplehorn is great in this. I thought so. She's very well cast because she has that 
um, you know, slightly exotic, atypical look where even though right. she's not and and the background of her character is really not there. There's no No, you other, don't learn much. Yeah. No. And I mean, she's not even she's Enola's caretaker. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So not not much about her backstory, but and, and it would be really interesting to know more about her backstory. Oh, but absolutely. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Not that that's where I'm going later, but yeah. No. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Tina Majorino, uh, as you know, Enola, the little kid, uh, and I gotta say, you know, Enola is alone spelt backwards and it's something that you kind of just, you can't overlook it. It's not a very well hidden, you know, thing, but, uh, it makes me think of, this time when I was in high school and I actually had to confirm with a friend of mine that this actually happened and wasn't my imagination or like my, you know, a dream I had that's somehow convinced itself that it's a real memory. But I, at one point, uh, maybe junior or senior year in high school, I had like an, like an English class and had to like write some sort of short story uh, with my friend, uh, Jen Brown, uh, Box Brown's sister. And I think that also we were, it was with um, our friend Rose and we wrote this story about a character named uh, Nelly Zalaznog, which is Elian Gonzalez spelled backwards, which is... <laughs> I remember this. I remember yeah. hearing something about this. Oh, yeah. really? Which is just like, yeah. that'll give you... Gl- hey, now that tells you everything, exactly how old I am. <laughs> when it's like, all that was in the news was Elian Gonzalez. <laughs> so 2000? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. 99, 2000, right around there. Yeah. So anyway, I just couldn't stop thinking about that with the name Enola and uh, the the whole theme of being kind of lost at sea, <laughs> you know, just wow. kind of cracked me up. No kit. Wow. Okay. I didn't make that connection. I mean, well, I mean, I was yeah. thinking about it much longer than you were for 10 well, seconds that we've been talking about it. Yeah, we we did have uh, back in the days of cubicle sketch comedy. Mm. Uh, we did have a sketch that referenced Ilian Gonzalez. What a weird way to mark an era. <laughs> well, it was also. I'll go on a brief side note, uh, a brief tangent about the sketch because uh, I don't know. I thought it was pretty clever, but the actual it's 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 kind of a part two to a sketch. The part one is. Uh, the premise of the sketch is that um, a grown-up baby Jessica mm. is going to work at this office and one of the other people at working at the office had fallen into a well like a week after her, but no one oh. cared. Yeah. And there's this whole bitter fight. And it also it, there's also a lot of dirty dancing references because um, it ends with like one of the temps coming in and says, nobody puts baby Jessica in a corner. <laughs> And there's references throughout, but then at the end, it's when we come back to that sketch later, it's the new employee coming in to work and we're introducing him to the employee that had the fight with baby Jessica. Mm. And I'm like, okay, so Michael, this is uh, Mr. Gonzalez. He's going to be working with you. And he goes, oh, you mean like Elian Gonzalez? And he's just like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and so anyway, um, and then- (laughs) And then, of course, we have Michael Jeter, our beloved Michael Jeter, uh, in a uh, in a role that's less 
fun, you know, that were less fond of than his role in Fisher King. But uh, he he makes sense. He works as old Gregor. Yeah, he's not really like, you know, doing it. He's like doing a lot he's more heavy lifting as an actor in, in Fisher King. Yeah. yeah. But in this, he just he has like his ac- like accent, whatever accent he's doing. Right. And, you know, he's just he's kind of the, you know, kooky, eccentric old Old right. wizard <laughs> yeah really wizard but yeah like engineer whatever whatever he yeah no he builds like a little helicopter yeah or yeah, higher balloon not a helicopter. it's a but it's like a, a a hybrid situation it's bizarre but it's a thing yeah but it's fun um i don't know the, the movie itself i think i didn't hate watching it uh i at no point was like i got to turn this off the way I did with like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And I think that a lot of that might have to do with the fact that like Kevin Costner doesn't really talk all that much. <laughs> it's like everyone else does the majority of the talking. Uh, Costner just kind of like kicks back. I, you know, it's like, I, I remember back in that time about like the way people would talk about Kevin Costner. And it's just like, I don't understand it. I just really don't do understand me- it. I remember that a friend of, um, of Merrill Rubin, Okay. Friend of the family, mother of Jeff Rubin. Previous, Ge- yes, previous guest, guest Jeff Rubin's mother. On The Wizard. I remember it was Kevin Costner and Mel Gibson. Oh, jeez. You would go over their house and she had like kit, like refrigerator magnets. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Mel Gibson. I think there was like a uh, poster of like Cocktail with Tom Cruise. And um, I, I think she, she also liked uh, uh, Kevin Costner as well. That's so funny. I actually do have a vague memory of from her a mention of like Kevin Costner's like bare butt in like Robin Hood. Yes. <laughs> well, how does that how is that a memory? I I you know what uh she makes an impact. So she certainly um, does. She's quite yeah. a lady. Yeah. So but um yeah, it wasn't even his butt uh in Robin Hood. Maybe Pretty it's sure he had a butt uh, double. Maybe they did went to the same uh, butt double union oh, that, for uh, Gene Triplehorn. For Gene Triplehorn, maybe it was the same butt double. No, actually, it was much paler in his. Uh, Why do I also remember the fact that it was his butt was very pale in that movie? Because <laughs> it was is... the most believable. It was the most believable aspect of that movie that a like a guy who lived in the woods in like England would would have a pale ass. Well, and then this is also something that. You know, you're making me think about at the beginning of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, he's in prison. He's got this like long beard and this like long, greasy hair. And it's like, I don't think anybody in Waterworld like has a beard. Who who's what are they all shaving with? So and it's I had a lot of those similar type of questions. Mm. Now, if they're one of the if they're the smokers. Chances are that on the Valdez, there's all sorts of personal effects like they sure. have so much the smokers people would be out on right for months but yeah and then i guess kevin costner doesn't have a beard because he's part fish <laughs> but he's got stubble why doesn't kim coates the drifter who has been out at sea for yeah. ages why does he have a perfectly clean shaven face yeah so anyway those are the things where i'm just like There's why do so they many... not all have like crazy long beards yeah no th- i mean there's a lot of little logic holes of course yeah you know the thing with the mag i mean any of the things that he goes to the bottom of the sea and gets it's like they've been there for a week right 
they look about like that level of water damaged, if that. But despite the fact that they've also been under like the deep pressure of the ocean, though. Oh, yeah. Like, so yeah, no one's getting the bends. Yeah. Well, no one's no one's getting the bends. But also, like, wouldn't that pressure of the ocean have kind of buckled the architecture of. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not. I feel I like science. I feel like if there was just a line from like from like Gene Triplehorn or even like Enola, like the naive child to just be like, you know, how come nobody has how come you don't have a beard, like a big, long beard? And like all he has to say is like, it's too long to explain. <laughs> That's Not all you need. <laughs> yeah. It's like another story for another time. Well, the thing is, like, kids are. You know, they ask a lot of questions. I feel like if she asked a ton of those, like, just like a list of all, like, you know, it's like, how come uh, this? How come that? How come that? And all he has to say is just like, take too long to explain. Don't worry about it. And then it's just like telling the audience, like, well, let's just look past all that stuff. We got a a movie to tell. Yeah. Not important right now. We're in the. We're in the lull between action sequences. Yeah. There's no time to explain. The smokers are coming. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh, is that the smokers again? Yep, oh, go. hey, I think I hear a smoker. Yes. Uh, and speaking of the smokers, I really want to shout out, and I don't know if I um, if I have the actor's name. Oh, uh, William Preston is the actor, but uh, the guy who's just in the giant like oil vat on the tanker, um, oh. who's just there to like keep like to report on the levels of the oil. And when, uh, spoiler alert, when uh, a, a, a match gets thrown down, or is it a match or is it a lit cigarette? Oh, it's the flare. It's, it's a flare, uh, right, right. Yeah. And like this, as soon as like the flames start to come, he's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> and you know, it's funny because he drops it down there and you're like, you feel, he's like the one person on this ship that you feel any sympathy for is this old guy. And I remember when, when he was dropping that, I was like, oh man, but he's got to kill the old guy. And then when the old guy was just like, oh, thank God. I know. Oh, oh he was in the Fisher reckon, King. Wh- I was going to say, I, I recognized him from somewhere. He was one of the, oh, he's one of the other, guys. um, yeah. In the beginning. Yeah. But I, I feel like I've seen sense. him in other in other. He's been things. in um he's been in a uh, you know couple dozen things probably Exorcist three, which we've talked about a, a bunch or you've talked about a bunch, Reckless Joe's Apartment The Crucible I'm not Rappaport Illuminata, I don't know yeah okay yeah, but he's so good yeah. in this he's so good in this it's there like, are a oh, lot of the God. smokers there are a lot of the smokers that there's that one guy he's got the the dark hair I think he's the one who does the surgery on the eye. Oh, uh-huh. And he's just kind of this like very dry, very like, uh-huh. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> it was very amusing. And there's well, so many great, things there's also a Dennis really funny, Hopper. there's a funny moment also when, um, you know, when the Mariner shows up at the Atoll and they're just like, Oh, we'd love it if you would mate with one of our people. And they're just like, it's getting a little, you know, you know, keeping, the you know the bloodlines going is getting a little weird and like you just see like the one guy who like looks all weird looking <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, yeah but yeah ultimately it's it's the movie and i guess my the question one of the questions i was left with at the end and i was thinking about this and i was also thinking about the day after tomorrow which came out 10 years after this and is mm-hmm. also about 
climate change at right. a very accelerated rate. But could you I wonder how a movie like that, like it must have been easier to make just like a sci fi action movie about that 25 years ago versus now I feel like you you'd have to if you're going to make a film about that about like the effects of climate change or global warming it would need to be more serious i'm not saying it couldn't right. be a sci-fi movie but it would have to i would imagine it more being like interstellar is a sci-fi movie mm-hmm. is a serious sci-fi movie about the effects of climate change right could you still make a you know action blockbuster that the concept if, is i'm trying to remember if geostorm touched on climate change too much i can't really remember did it i didn't see geostorm i watched it you know on hbo or something and i clearly i remember a ton about it right no but i feel like that's one at that level like the roland emmerich crazy big over the top like right. you know but cl- i mean it didn't I I guess like can do you, how do you get a movie like that made and also like how do you get people to go see it and not be sitting there thinking like oh God, climate change is really serious. Well, what you could do is you could bring back Waterworld and you can just kind of because there was the you know 1995 Waterworld it gives you the ability to make that kind of movie now. Because it is so, it is so famous for there to be this already existing property. Well, yeah, yeah. And, but I also, I do think, and I, um, I, I think this, this might just be a segue into the like into us deciding the fate of Waterworld. Here. <laughs> well, I, I just want to acknowledge the things that have come up post nineteen ninety five movie Waterworld. You know, there have been. Uh, a couple of like video games. There was a Virtual Boy game, and then an an SNES game that never actually came out in the United States. And I played it using a, an emulator because I was just so curious. And I listened to a fantastic episode of the podcast. How did this get played? Um, with Heather Ann Campbell and Nick Weiger, which is all about these like weird or bad video games. And Heather Ann Campbell is actually a pretty big Waterworld enthusiast. She is like obsessed with it. And I actually tried to get her to be a guest on this episode, but she's uh, taken the rest of the year off from doing any recording, unfortunately. But she's like, if you're going to do it at another time, let me know. But it's like, hey, we're doing this whole episode 95, uh, 1995 thing. So, but... I asked her if there's anything she wanted to mention or me to mention on her behalf for this. And she's like, only that this movie's way too real. You know, it's like, it's exactly everything that we should be thinking about. So, but uh, yeah. And it also needs to be mentioned that still, well, I don't know what the state is of uh, people going to the universal studios theme parks, but uh, there is the Waterworld stunt show. And Dan, this is my other weirdo connection to Waterworld. I was a, um, a producer. I, I produced story for a few episodes of the last season. No, not the last season because it's come back. But the show Trading Spaces in like the eighth season, I think. And we did a, an episode where there is a stuntman man 
and his apprentice, and they are trading spaces, and they both work on the Waterworld stunt show. So uh, I, I, you know, was there filming at one of the stunt performances to get, you know, some footage of them. And yeah, it, and gotta say, it's a great stunt show. And uh, it makes perfect sense for there to be a stunt show about this movie because the theatrics of the action are really, really fun. Oh, there were sequences that looked like a stunt show. Not in a bad way. Right. No, so much fun and yeah, totally works for the uh the stunt show. I believe that uh one of the stuntmen the the older stuntman was also the um Indiana Jones stunt show guy. So anyway, but <laughs> very versatile. Yeah, right. <laughs> so different. But uh yeah, those are a couple of the things that did keep the the property alive. And of course there were action figures and all sorts of stuff like that. So anyway, but yeah, Dan, and there was going to be, Oh, there was going to be a, uh, a, a sci-fi series. I want to say in like 2012. Oh, really? There was some chat about a sci-fi network like series. And there's also, and I don't know where to find this. I don't know. Maybe it's on the arrow Blu-ray release, but the, the Ulysses, Ulysses cut. cut. Yeah. I knew you were yeah. going to say the Ulysses cut, a fan made recut of the movie that they eventually went back and like, you know, actually did this cut of it. I'd love to see it because I hear it's really good. And apparently it it explains a lot more. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and maybe. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, you know, a lot of this movie even couldn't be shot the way they intended it just because of weather conditions that wiped out entire sets that they had to like rebuild or decide screw it we're just gonna not do this one but yeah i I would love to see this ulysses cut i would be interested to see that and then you know that could potentially make its way into the the form of a remake yeah well well dan what exactly would you want to do i think i would go for a remake I I agree. Yeah, I would like to, uh, a remake, and um, while I certainly have a few names floating around in terms of stars and filmmakers, I instantly thought as I was thinking about how Kevin Costner just didn't fit this role for me, and I was like, who today would fit that? Dave Bautista. Oh yeah, Dave Bautista as and like yes, I know you know Drax is kind of this like you know he, I mean he's an alien, he's not a mutated human, but I think that I think that Dave Batista could potentially bring the the kind of action of the role of like that of that character of Drax, but also bring to it some of that emotion, some of that pathos that he showed in Blade Runner uh, twenty twenty nine, twenty forty nine, twenty forty nine. Yeah. Yes. Going back to something that you mentioned earlier, though, because you had talked about how Patrick Swayze would have made a lot of sense because he has kind of this like, I don't know, very specific physique where like you buy him as a dancer as much as you buy him as, you know, uh, his character in Roadhouse or you buy him yes. as whatever else. I, I don't know. Does Dave Batista also have that physique that would really work for you? I mean... I haven't seen him in a wrestling ring in a while, but like when that guy, when, I mean, cause that's how I first got to know Dave Batista was as right. 
but WWE's Batista. And he was always one of my favorites because he was this guy who he was big, he was imposing, but man, he could move uh-huh. and he could keep going. So, and I it like, yeah, it's been at least 10 years since I've seen him in a match like that, mm-hmm. but you know, it's also movies. And, you know, when we're comparing movies to pro wrestling, pro wrestling is, is, is the real one there <laughs> yeah, because right. like I, I have sat in a building and watched Dave Batista actually mm-hmm. do these things. Um, yeah. and he, I, I mean, I think he would be good. The other, th- but, but also to your point on that, I think Mahershala Ali, mm, yeah, would be more would would fit more. Like the I physique. was between the two because I was like Batista. I would get excited. I was watching Waterworld and I was just like, man, if it was Dave Batista, I'd be into this a lot more. But in terms of the character and. And really fitting that. I mean, unless you just went with uh, was it Doug Jones, The Shape of Water, oh. um, <laughs> some like same universe. No, um, but I think Mahershala Ali could also could bring that to it. And I mean, he's, uh, you know, I don't know, phys- you know, what type of physical shape he's in, but you know, he's uh, he's doing a. Uh, comic book movie he's in one of the oh yeah i think i, I forget about that so but, yeah yeah oh and i uh, i want to give you my helen because helen is the character that i only have one actor written down for and i wrote nobody else and that would be zoe kravitz uh i well zoe kravitz keeping it in with the the kind of mad maxi theme since she was in fury road uh i totally oh, agree right. with uh with zoe kravitz she's awesome I I know I've talked about it before. She's so good in the High Fidelity series, which really gives her more of an opportunity, even more than like Big Little Lies, to like really show what she can do. And um, I I think that she's absolutely fantastic. So I love that. I agree. I would totally want to redo it for a lot of reasons. You know, this movie was extremely famously expensive, and now you could do this. So cheap and honestly, shoot it on an iPhone. Well, I mean, you know, maybe, but like, I know that when it comes to like shooting out on the open water, like you can't beat the look of that, but you can come pretty damn close. And if it means saving a ton of money or like, you know, having that money used for better purposes. You know, not having a storm destroy your entire exactly. That's so many millions of dollars. Well, that Spielberg told Kevin Reynolds, "Don't shoot on the open water." I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And honestly, it's like right now nobody would be able to tell that it wasn't shot on open water if you did it. You know, with CGI. As far as Kevin Costner replacements, I mean. I like the Mahershala Ali. I don't I don't know if I would like the the Dave Batista idea as much. But you come to it from a different perspective as somebody who has more of a history with him with the with the pro wrestling. And but, I wanna add, I also feel sorry, I had another justification and uh, just to throw it in. All the swimming. All the swimming. Yeah, a <laughs> lot big, of upper big. body, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. And also for that reason, I feel like, you know, you're talking about Patrick Swayze and I feel like somebody who 
encapsulates a lot of that stuff that Patrick Cousy had is like Chris Hemsworth, who uh, I think you can totally buy him as like the complete loner who doesn't want to have anything to do with anybody, but then who comes around to like really forming a bond with these uh, these people. You don't seem to love that one. Well, because then you're essentially having pl- Thor play Aquaman. It's I not know. a superhero, no, though. No, yeah. I know. I know. Well, but, the thi- yeah. but that's the thing is I like, know. I wouldn't no. want Jason Momoa to play, you know, the Mariner. I could oh, see no, him being, not. I could see him being a smoker, maybe, maybe Deacon, but like. Maybe Deacon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Chris, I, I like Chris Hemsworth and I generally feel like something like this, he would do it fine. He would do it better than Kevin Costner. Yeah. I mean, also it's just like, I feel like when you're thinking about somebody who's always swimming like <laughs> super far underwater, you know, there's a, a certain grace to it. And I feel like somebody like him would have the, that, I don't know, that swimmers feel mm. where I don't see that as much in Dave Bautista. No, that's a good, that that's actually, that's a good, that's true. That's true. Yeah. So, um, and of yeah. course there are, probably dozens of other incredible actors who could do such a good job. I wouldn't think oh, that this, course. I don't think that this one would be as good if it were gender flipped. I just don't kind of, and that's just me personally. I just don't see it working as well. I think that having the, the male female dynamic between um, the Mariner and then Helen and Enola works better this way. I mean, I thought about it and, but yeah, I agree. it just didn't, didn't click for yeah. me when I was trying to think of and not necessarily gender flipping, like keeping Helen as a woman, but making right. the Mariner a woman, too. Yeah, because it's not like, well, they do have a romantic interest that develops between them. But like, that's a completely like it's a very 90s thing to. Well, to be but doing I, that. you can still have I you don't can care. still you have can still that, have but it. you don't have yeah. to do it that way. No, you don't. You absolutely don't. But it's kind of like, I don't know, I was I was thinking about it and then it um, it's like, well, it's like Charlize Theron has kind of done that type of role. Like, yeah. I feel like Furiosa in 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 Mad Max is kind of she's that kind of crusader. Actually, more of she's more of a good person in that. Right. Well, you but, know, if we were talking about women to do this, I think that um, I I like uh, and I feel like both of these people have been in. Mission Impossible movies, but Leia Sidu, I I think would be really awesome, and um oh is it Rebecca Ferguson? Yeah, oh, Rebecca yeah. Ferguson, yeah. uh who is in the last two Mission Impossible movies. I think she'd be awesome. Actually, was she the one who even does the underwater stuff in? I think so. Yeah, whichever. Mission I Impossible forget which was one was. was that. Fallout. I don't think that was Fallout. I think it was the one Rogue before. Nation. Rogue Nation. I think. Yeah. So anyway, for what it's worth. Yeah. They would be good. Now, uh, who would you who would you cast as Deacon? Oh, yeah, you know, I, it's but the thing is like I I wouldn't want it to be a a Dennis Hopper, you know, carbon copy. No, but what so and what it's funny because when I was thinking of it, and of course like a bunch of names popped into my head at first, and then I was looking at some trivia for Waterworld and saw that at least two of the names that I thought of for a remake had been considered originally. Oh really? Um, and that was 
um, Samuel L. Jackson, who I think don't, who I don't think can play roles that require eye patches anymore. Yeah, I know. He's um, and, uh, oh, who is the, Gary Oldman? Oh, mm-hmm. who, yeah. In 1995. Yeah. Mank. And it would have been, you know, yeah. Yeah. I was kind of thinking about that. Like who would be good. And there's now that's a role that you could gender flip. And I think depending on who sure. you cast yeah. could work. Like, um, I don't know, like a Natasha Leone Deacon. <laughs> oh, that'd be really interesting. I don't um, know if I, th- if I would necessarily like that for more than a few minutes, but I don't know. I'm, just, I like I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think, I mean, of course, cause my mind went to Sam Rockwell as just kind Sam of a, Rockwell who would be great. pick up the mantle. I feel like I Sam about- Rockwell would be good, a good old Gregor. <laughs> Because <laughs> he's just kind of like unhinged and weird, and I think they'd be so good with that. Well, uh, that works. I think, yeah, I think a good deacon. I mean, I, I don't know, uh, Donald. What about Woody Glover. Harrelson? Woody Harrelson, yes, but uh, Donald. I f- Woody Harrelson would be more of like Dennis Hopper. What about Ron Perlman? Oh, Ron Perlman would be fun. I like Ron Perlman, and I would like to see him get that one more like big screen role like he was so great as hellboy you know i didn't see it but i i know it just got like panned well no 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 that was the new oh hellboy. no no no, that was the newer one you're right you're right you're right yeah he was yeah. in the guillermo which hellboy 2 the golden army is phenomenal Oh, i haven't seen that one but and he also like ron perlman on sons of anarchy again yeah was wonderful but i also like the idea like you mentioned donald glover yeah who i could who i would like to see doing something like in that vein like more of a right. villainy yeah yeah and I, unfortunately it's like because and he was this way in black panther i don't think that michael b jordan would be necessarily a good candidate for it yeah. I, I did love his energy as kind of the the villain but uh, i don't still they're know they're also if, a little i i feel like yeah i want to go a little bit older a little bit older for, yeah for a yeah. character like deacon like what about I don't know. I'm trying to think of someone David like Thulis. Interest. <laughs> oh, oh, I love David Thulis. David Thulis could do pretty much anything. He could do. He could be I'm any concerned. of these characters. Yeah. Yeah. David Thulis would be fun. Um, oh, who else? I'm trying to think. Who else is an Or like older... while we're in the like, while we're talking like in the Fargo verse here, you know, it makes Fargo me even think of like, I don't know, Chris Rock. You know, Chris Rock is. Very, very much active. He's definitely in that age range now where he could be this kind of like, and you and you know that he has the ability to get kind of crazy and get weird. Yeah, that would be, that would be interesting. <laughs> that would be interesting. A Chris Rock. I mean, I also just finished season four of Fargo not oh. too long ago. Would you, um, we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Another we time. don't need to talk about that right now, but just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm rarely up to speed on these things. Yeah. So... Yeah, Chris Rock. I mean, like, yeah, it was funny because I first thought like, oh, man, I would love to see Samuel L. Jackson. And then it's, uh, well, I'm afraid, you know, we. I, I think we have to kind of retire his jersey on this type of uh, Yeah, thing. I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see his name come up again when we're talking about doing something that like maybe he hasn't done in a while or that he's not like known for as much because clearly the guy is amazing and should be in everything. But doesn't need to be in our imaginary versions of these things necessarily all the time. No. And also no. he played uh in the the Kingsman um 
series. Well, in the first one, he's the uh, the villain and and does a real fun job with that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I I I can't think of too many other people would be a good Albert Brooks. He's a little too old now. Albert Brooks. Albert I Brooks. I, I mean, I loved him in Drive. You know, I loved seeing that side of. of him in Drive. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of that would almost make him a, a fun deacon. But I don't know. There was something about Dennis Hopper that really worked with that whole post-apocalyptic I know. Or you could vibe. do like a Brian Cranston. That always works. Oh, yes. Yes. I think Brian – I think that's the one I like is Brian Cranston. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's where I'm landing on this one. <laughs> or Tilda Swinton. Ooh. Because there's another one, or like, but and then it's like you go, well, Tilda Swinton, Willem Dafoe, any of these people could, I mean, of course, Willem Dafoe could, yeah, do this. Willem Dafoe could play all the roles. Um, he it, and David Thewlis, cast of two. I mean, I was funny because I was thinking about like he's kind of got a fish quality. I was like, oh yes, he was an Aquaman. Oh well, you know, of course what? he was. <laughs> Screw it, get Jack Black back in there. Oh, as Deacon, as Deacon. Oh, yes. Fun. Oh, that is a good. Now, in terms of filmmakers, did you have anyone in mind? Uh, no. I this is one of those where it's less about the the person making it than it is about I I don't know. I don't I I, I think that also just like I don't have the names in my head right now for, you know, there's the the very obvious ones, the people who are doing things like this right now and I I think that just with this one, as long as it's somebody even remotely capable. Oh, I would like to see Duncan Jones. Oh, well, okay. See, now we're getting. I would like to see a Duncan Jones one. With the Sam Rockwell uh, reunion. Oh, yeah, yeah. Moon. I, I mean, I think that that would be interesting. Did, didn't he do a um, like World of Warcraft movie? Oh, he did. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't I didn't see that. I think that he's fantastic. I Yeah, I'd be I'd be curious. That would be fun. Yeah, I mean there weren't yeah, like the other directors that came to mind were the usuals. Catherine Bigelow who has been on my mind lately, so but I I was trying to think of like who's cuz I was like Catherine Bigelow, yeah, Strange Days 1995, awesome movie. <laughs> but I wanted to like who is the 1995 Catherine Bigelow? today oh uh-huh yeah i don't know and i don't know i don't know who that is i just don't know enough to be able to say that but right I, yeah to i mean yeah i wouldn't want to just go to the old standbys right for yeah. this for this very special uh hypothetical yeah remake of of Waterworld. well our dear listeners let us know what you think if you have any director suggestions you can email us ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com we're on instagram at ruinedchildhoodspod twitter at ruined underscore pod find our merch on tpublic.com um just search for ruined childhoods and all of our stuff will pop up dan anything else you wanted to mention about Waterworld, or should we move on to what we're going to talk about on our next episode no, nothing else to say other than that if you're listening and you've you haven't seen Waterworld and have kind of always been reluctant based on the word of mouth, I would say give it uh give it a fair give it a fair shot. It's not going it, Speaking of giving it, it a fair not, shot, maybe uh have a drink with it. Make it a yeah. drinking game. 
At make it a drinking game, sure. Every time Kevin Costner emotes, drink. I mean, you won't get a buzz, <laughs> yeah. but like, you, you'll, you're whatever. If you have a cold drink, it will be warm by the time you you drink. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, so in but enjoy Waterworld. There is certainly value to it, and besides, a lot of people worked really hard to make that movie and deal with like Kevin Costner. Like yeah. throwing tantrums Ugh. and shit like that. So what, what if you know thing, anyone who's oh yeah. I, yeah oh no 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 you go ahead no just if you know anyone who worked on Waterworld you know give them a hug or something when you yeah, can buy it's him not a drink. Safe right now. Uh, one more thing I wanted to mention going back a little bit to the uh, the Super Nintendo Waterworld game it has and I'm not even kidding phenomenal music. you just reminded me of a question I had for you about okay. the music in Waterworld. Okay, but I'm real sorry, quick, I think the guy's yes. name is like Dean Evans or something who did the um, the music for the, let's see, Dean Evans Waterworld game. Is that his name? Dean Evans. Yeah, it's so good. Um, definitely look look it up. I think that you can find this stuff on YouTube. All right, you had a question for me. I, I I did. Sorry, I have to go back here. Um, now, the music to Waterworld, the movie, is composed by James Newton Howard. But I was during one scene, the scene when when he's trying to get away from the smokers and he releases that like that parachute. Oh, yeah. Sale. The music reminded me of Hook. Huh. And I don't know if it. All right. The music sounded familiar. And I, it was like. Da, 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 da. It okay. was something like that. And I was sitting there listening. I was like, where do I know that music from? Huh. And it sounded like Hook. I have to go back and check it out now. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, if you also please email us if if you can confirm <laughs> uh you can confirm that for me please. Yeah. So Dan, to know. let's tell everybody what we're going to yeah. talk about on our very different next episode of the podcast. Yes, yeah, so on our next episode, we are going back to Dryland uh to meet up uh to meet up with Bet Goldie and Diane it's the first wives club. You bet your ass it is. I am so excited. 1996. Yeah. Yeah. So gonna, uh, the, get into this it. This is episode 95 right now. We talked about a 1995 movie. Next episode is 1996 movie. Uh, it's the 96th episode. We're going to put something on our uh, Instagram where uh, you can help us choose what our 100th episode is going to be. We have four options, but we are definitely open to other suggestions. Uh, no theme necessary. You get to decide our fate. <laughs> well, Dan, on your way to dry land, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. Completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. I boycott aerosol cans and styrofoam.
If it was completely destroyed, we would have to live on the ground. 